Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, hello, everyone. So glad you're joining us today. We're going to have a great show for you. This is February 17th, 2021. We have with us Dr. Ratu, and we're going to be discussing his book, Parenting Made Complicated. And I know that that title, you're probably thinking, well, parenting already is quite complicated. (laughs) And that's part of why he wrote his book. Um, I I read the book. It's really great. Um, I I would say that it's a a tool that every parent definitely needs to have in their tool chest. Welcome, doctor. Thank you. It's great to be here. Why don't you give our listeners um, your background, and then we'll get into your book. Sure. Um, uh, my background is that I am a uh, child and adolescent psychiatrist, and I know sometimes people get mixed up between psychologist psychologists and psychiatrists. So, psychiatrist means you go to medical school, um, then you go to uh, train in general psychiatry, and then in child psychiatry. So it's a it's a definitely a long haul. Uh, but I've been uh, since my training ended, I've been uh, spending my time. Uh, both seeing families and kids in clinical practice as well as uh, doing some research in personality and child temperament and also being involved in uh, teaching and some uh, public policy work for the state. So I've I've covered a lot of ground over the years, and as uh, my career has moved on, I I have uh, felt the need to kind of move away from just talking to other professionals, um, trying to get out of the ivory tower a little bit. Uh, I, you know, sometimes I would write a, a journal article that I thought was great, and you know, maybe 20 people would read it, and they were experts in the field already. So, what I was hoping to do with this book is really try to translate science in a way that is understandable um, and even entertaining uh, for people who are not sort of professional, uh, you know, child development experts or other psychiatrists or professionals. Well, you did a good job of that. I have Thank to commend you. you. I really love the book. Thank you for saying so that. And I, I, should, yeah. I should acknowledge, too, that when um, my publicist, Holly Watson, and I first got a release date for the book, uh, and we were just starting to look for places to talk about it, uh, your show was uh, one of the first ones to to sort of book a date, and uh, we appreciate that. And and we've had many more, and I expect the conversation will continue to grow, but you always remember the first people who uh, signed on to talk more about the book. Yeah, no, the timing the timing was really good because usually we have a, a long waiting list. Uh, we've been on the air going on 
eight years. Yeah, I so, saw that, a lot of episodes over the years. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about your parenting book um, relative to some of the questions that most parents have. Um, and we could probably start out with child temperament and why why does that matter when it comes to parenting? Yeah, that's a great place to start. So child temperament is very similar to personality. So in some ways I like to describe child temperament as the building blocks of your personality. So these are basic traits that we all have um, that then sort of blossom into our personality traits. But you can see them early in life. You can see them in kids in infancy sometimes. Uh, They tend to be somewhat stable, although they're certainly not unchangeable. It's not your destiny. Uh, But what we're talking about are things like uh, extroversion is one of the core traits. So it describes, you know, how much a child likes a lot of stimulation around them. They like people around them. They like to be the center of attention, you know, versus kids who are happier to have more low stimulation activities. Maybe they don't really need a crowd. They're happier with maybe spending some time on their own with one people. These are the kind of dimensions that um, we're talking about in terms of child temperament. And when you mix and match them, you come up with what we call temperament types, so clusters of of traits that kind of seem to hang together. Um, And so those are, you know, maybe five or six types. Um, One of them may be sort of an anxious type. So these are kids who... Uh, are prone to getting upset or sad or scared more. They may be a little bit lower on the extroversion side. And the reason I introduce this in the book is uh, one of the things that I've noticed with a lot of the parenting advice is that it's very much a a one-size-fits-all approach. There's this assumption that, you know, you just do this and every kid is the same and you're going to wind up with the same outcome. And anyone who's been a parent knows that that it just doesn't work. I mean, so many parents will say, you know, I thought I was doing the same thing, and this one uh, technique or approach worked incredibly for one kid, and it failed spectacularly for the second. And so I really wanted to write a book that was not, that emphasized that the science really doesn't necessarily lend for a one-size-fits-all approach to parenting and that very often the best strategy is to understand what your child's temperament is, understand what your own temperament is, and then the, quote, correct answer for all of these timeless parenting dilemmas and controversies might need to be changed a little bit depending on what your child is like or what you're like. Uh, but that was you know, one of the central themes of the book, and the, and the science uh, very much um, – confirms that the one-size-fits-all approach really is not um, always the best way to go. It's difficult because through, um, you know, primary education all the way up perhaps even through college if you haven't actually taken, you know, some psychology classes, uh, parents really don't have a toolbox. That's right. And. Well, when it comes to temperament, one of the things I do in one of the earliest chapters of the book is I try to provide a method and some tools that will allow a parent to um, make some kind of basic assessment about their child's temperament uh, and their own, and then then they can use that for the subsequent chapters. But it's funny because there's this this joke that I hear all the time, and I think a lot of parents like to say that there's no manuals 
when it comes to raising mm-hmm. children. And in a sense, that's true, but in a sense, it's not true at all. That In many ways, you could say there are hundreds of manuals out there uh, telling sure. you how to raise your children. What makes it confusing mm-hmm. is that they they tend to say different things, um, sometimes diametrically opposite things. Mm-hmm. And so I, I joke in the book that there's nobody more confident about a parenting issue than the person who's read one parenting book and no one less confident than the person who's just read two. And that's because of this funny phenomenon where uh, people, I think, are sometimes picking and choosing the science that confirms a conclusion that the author would like to lead people down already. <laughs> and this book instead tries to take a different um, a different tack. So instead of you know, being more sort of a lawyer trying to get someone to a foregone conclusion and convert somebody to, you know, the way I raised my children, I try to lay out the options in a more objective and non-judgmental way and treat parents like grown-ups who will make good decisions for their kids if just given uh, the full range of options. Yeah, I'm going to send your book to my niece who's pregnant right now. I think it would be a um, a great read for her. One of the Thank questions you. that one of the, one of the questions that um, that mothers have from the day they bring their infant home after childbirth is, do you let the baby cry, or do you hold the baby all the time so that it doesn't cry? <laughs> in other words, do you pick him up or do you let him cry? And I know that that's in your book. That's one of the eternal debates. And in fact, it was that debate that actually got me to write the book when I got a question about that from oh. the parent. And, and I, I didn't know the answer. So I was uh, a child psychiatry <laughs> fellow. So I had already gone through about seven extra years of training to be a, a doctor and then a psychiatrist uh-huh. and then a child psychiatrist. And I was working with uh, a little boy in, in therapy and I was talking to the mom and the mom uh, very innocently brought up uh, the question about whether or not it was okay to ferberize uh, their you know, youngest daughter. And I was trying to think back, and, and ferberization is, for people who don't know, is kind of that idea that you let a kid cry it out for a little while before going to soothe them as a way to try to help them get to sleep on their own at night. And I was thinking that, you know, I have, you know, I was very lucky I got this incredible you know, world-class psychiatric education. I'd been taught about everything from, you know, neuroscience to medications to Oedipus complexes, but I couldn't remember one lecture that had to do with this very basic and reasonable question that this parent was asking me. And it made me wonder, you know, what is there no science about sleep training that's out there, so there's really nothing to say about it? Or was there science and it just we never heard about it and so at that moment i thought i've got to learn more about this i've got to learn more about what the evidence is behind the kind of things that parents are dealing with all the time and so that's what started the book and you know now it's uh probably 20 years later and that kid is done with college probably and at least now i i have uh something to say about it and hopefully a good answer uh, which is uh-huh. uh, right. So, what is the answer about sleep training? And <laughs> there's always a certain amount of irony when I get asked this because you know the book is parenting made complicated, and the whole idea is that there there isn't always a quick answer for some of these questions. But sleep training, um, 
has been studied, um, and uh, the bottom line for the research that's been done, and there could be more, is that it does seem to be effective. Um, it does work for a lot of kids. It seems to help them get to sleep, and there's also some evidence that it makes a parent's level of uh, depression get better, which can happen if you're chronically sleep-deprived. And then in the uh -huh. few studies that have followed kids uh, for many years and, and looked at kids who had and had not been sleep-trained, we don't find any difference whatsoever, so that there really is not any research um, to indicate that it leads to any kind of uh, lasting harms. Uh, but the other thing I think I want to, uh, that I think people may not know when it comes to sleep training is that most people associate sleep training with that Ferber technique, the crying it out technique. And uh -huh. that's one, but there are actually several others, um, and many of them don't involve uh, any kind of sort of crying it out procedure. And the research looks like that they're just as effective. And so for parents who are reluctant to try kind of the classic Ferber technique, uh, or that there may be reasons that you don't want to use it. You know, if, if a child has a history of trauma or it's incredibly anxious, there actually isn't research to to say, no, that, you know, give the green light for that, that, that you know, there, there may be subgroups of kids based on their temperament or their history where you may not want to do that technique. And, and there are others. They have different names called uh, camping out is one. There's also this... Um, somewhat diabolical technique called the excuse me technique for slightly older kids where you sort of pardon yourself for one minute to make some excuse that you got to go to the bathroom and get a drink of water and and then you just come back later and later uh every time you do it until uh, huh. you know that the, the child doesn't really need you to be there so much but there are all these other things out there that i think parents may not be aware of and and they're all many of them are described in the sleep training chapter of the book Okay, so there really isn't a simple answer to it. Um, you know, whether you you know you hold the child until it stops crying all the time, or you put it to sleep and it cries itself to sleep. Well, to to be clear, even the the ferberization technique or the what's called the crying it out technique does not recommend just letting a, uh, an infant cry it out to the point of exhaustion. So what the okay. what the Ferber uh, technique is, is you wait, you know, a certain amount of time. So you don't immediately go in. Maybe you wait, you know, two minutes. And then if the child cries again, maybe the next time you wait four minutes or five minutes. So you're extending the time, but you are going in and offering some quick comfort and then okay. going again. There aren't really any child experts that I'm aware of that advocate for sort of the full-blown um, crying it out. That's kind of a stereotype that isn't is yeah. actually a myth. It was, you know, um, we have a son, and he was breech almost the entire time of, of mm. my pregnancy. He could not be confined in any space whatsoever as a child, or he'd just get hysterical. So um, you couldn't have him in the crib. You couldn't have him. <laughs> you couldn't have him in a playpen. I mean, mm -hmm. nada. There was that's, no way to comfort him. And that's, I think, okay. getting at some of these temperamental differences that um, I'm trying to get at. That that kids are 
wired differently, and some kids are uh-huh. incredibly active, and some kids aren't. And so, you know, the same technique that you might use for a kid who's kind of calm and placid is gonna not is gonna have a different result than you know the child right. who is extremely active. And for some kids, they'll find a playpen to be comforting and kind of gives them a space and it, and for others it's a jail it's a jail that they've got to get out of from <laughs> it really was it was exhausting <laughs> oh my gosh well let's talk about um uh the fact that um there's a lot of parenting controversies um relative to you know like your average pediatrician um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, for most of the book, each chapter is devoted to, you know, one of these specific controversies that are out there. So, you know, we talk about everything from parenting style, like helicopter parenting, to we talked about sleep training, praise, discipline, gender development, uh, daycare versus home care. You know, these are the kind of things that you will, the Internet is full of opinions and ideas and uh, advice about about what to do. And, uh, you know, pediatricians, um, they, I, I have so much respect for pediatricians, and I know, I know quite a few of them, uh, but they have to be responsible for knowing an incredible amount of things across a very wide range. I mean, everything from ear infections to cancer. So, um, you know, many of them have learned a little bit about some of these parenting controversies, but with the research always accumulating uh, and uh, and getting yeah. all of these mixed messages, um, they're not always uh, completely up to date. And, um, you know, I think that yeah. many of them uh, will admit that, you know they they need to learn some of these things and stay updated on on some of the new research and I think that um, this book could appeal uh, to people who work in the field, teachers, um, mental health professionals, and and folks like pediatricians as well to help them get caught up. Yeah, yeah. You know, as as a parent, it's very difficult to select a pediatrician to begin with, and then you know, granted, if if they are considered rather just average, then I think it's really up to to the um, parents to do their own research and to you know to read. <laughs> yeah, right. There's not a lot of time for reading. I mean, as a parent, there's not a lot of time for reading, and as a, a pediatricians don't have a lot of time either. And I, I make the claim in the book that I think that that if you if you read the book, that you'll actually know more about these parenting controversies and the science behind them than the average pediatrician or even psychiatrist. Uh, I'm waiting for somebody to tell me I'm wrong about that, but so far um, I haven't encountered any major resistance (laughs) to that claim yet. (laughs) Not yet, not yet, right? (laughs) That's right. Uh, Yeah, and I, I, you know, you you talk about... um, considerations on separation and divorce when it comes to kids and I think that that's a really great chapter also thank thank you that was uh you know that was a tough one for me because uh, not only were my parents divorced but I uh, got a divorce and I'm now uh, happily uh, remarried so I felt like 
being able to be truly objective uh, for that uh-huh. chapter was going to be a challenge for me uh, because it was very important when I was writing this book, again, not to be trying to preach to people or telling them that they have to believe a certain way and to really just kind of lay the evidence out there. Uh, so that one was a particular challenge uh, for me. Um, but, I, you know, when it comes to uh, divorce, I think this is a great example of why uh, a one-size-fits-all approach, you know, really doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and couples are very different. And uh, for some couples, especially when there's high conflict and um, a lot of arguments and yelling, I mean, actually sometimes splitting up, uh, it can really lead to a lot of peace uh, for everyone in uh-huh. the family. Um, and, and other couples, you know, that's not the case, and you have to weigh things a little bit differently. But I, I thought that that's a chapter where I think it really, um, ha- it really uh, illustrates um, how you, you just can't sort of have these brush uh, ball statements of, you know, divorce is bad for kids or divorce is no big deal for kids. It really it varies on a number of different factors, and I try to lay out exactly what those factors are in the chapter. Well, what was your process for for um, outlining your your book? Because your your chapters are all um, very useful for parents. You know, this, um, all those specific topics are just outstanding that way. Well, thank you. Um, my process was I wanted to sort of, in the beginning of the book, lay a groundwork and just sort of talk about parenting science in the beginning, talk about temperament in the beginning, and then talk about these general parenting kind of global styles, uh, everything from helicopter parenting, tiger parenting, free-range parenting. Uh-huh. And with that as a, a groundwork, then you kind of move into – the special topics, so the picky eating uh-huh. and the divorce and the screens and um, and daycare and, and having that background, then I think makes it a little bit easier to um, you know think through uh, all of these individual topics. And then at the very end yeah. was a chapter that is designed to help people use the new knowledge that they have. Um, sort of put it into practice and and to lay out a bit of a game plan for how you do that. What do you do if you have a partner who, you know, really isn't really interested in making any kind of changes or, you know, what if you want to change eight things at once? Is that a good idea? Or how do you prioritize, you know, which things you want to try to tweak first um, and, and try to help people with some of those practical decisions? So that was, that was the overall uh, plan of the book. And, um, you know, and I wrote it pretty much in that order. Yeah, I like the fact that you also give real life examples, so that yeah, so the reader can can have a better um, understanding and and relate to your your topic. Yeah, I really, um, as I said before, I didn't want this to to read like a dry scientific review uh-huh. paper where you have you know Johnson at all said this and Smith at all said that, oh, and, exactly. and one way to to, right, exactly. To avoid those kinds of groans, you know, I wanted to uh, illustrate things, and so I put in uh, a clinical vignettes in each chapter, and those vignettes I think uh, help illustrate how 
uh, under different circumstances, the, quote, correct parenting approach might be different in kid A versus kid B and kid C. And so in most of those little vignettes, um, I think what the reader will find is that, you know, the direction that the parent finally ended up taking might have been a little different uh, based on some of these other factors. So there was a suggestion I got as I was writing the book, and I, uh, I was glad, and I think, it really, I think it really helped sort of bring things to life. Um, yeah, I like that you just daycare. That's also a big, big topic these days. Although things have kind of changed because a lot of parents are now um, working from home. Right and now, a lot I of parents are are doing it all. They're they're the yeah. teacher and the child care provider, and um, and they're working. I mean, I think that's what's just, what's your you know, advice to them. What's your advice to them in those kinds of situations now? Well, you know, a few things. Um, one is um, take some time for yourself. Uh, don't see it as being selfish. Um, you've got to be able to have some gas in the tank um, for you to be available and helpful for your kids. So uh -huh. if you need to do some exercise or take a break, um, you know, that's not just a selfish act. That's, you know, being able – I see that as being able to provide, uh, you know, for your family. Uh, another thing uh -huh. is, is uh, you know, find some help. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for it. Uh, you know, and I know in my own family we are, you know, really grateful that that our uh, eight-year-old can have some time on Zoom where he's uh, talking to grandma and grandpa and other people, and uh, we really appreciate having a little bit of that extra time. Um, and also, I mean, I think another really important message is is a message of hope and to realize that this is – you know, this is not going to be a situation that most of us are going to sail through uh, perfectly, and we have uh -huh. to uh, be able to, you know, forgive ourselves that we're not going to be perfect here, but that uh, there are some hopeful signs, and we're and we're not going to be having to uh, do all of these things at once, um, yeah. you know, if we're, you know, indefinitely, and that there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, because. Um a lot of the kids are confined now. They're not able to, um, you know, play with other children, et cetera. How do parents deal with that? Yeah, well, I think this is a time that um, it's a good time to try to develop um, activities and things that kids can do for their own. I know a lot of parents are having to rely on some extra screen time for kids. I know that's a big uh, controversy uh, happening right now, and I personally believe that um, this is not the time to be beating parents up and throwing a lot of judgment, and if they need to give their kids a little extra screen time, I think that that's probably okay. But uh, that said, um, I wouldn't completely throw in the towel, and if there's ways to not have kids spend all day on screens and we can think of some other projects for them to learn or things to, for them to do. Um, sometimes parents need to step in and nudge a little bit and, and maybe start doing a few things with them in the beginning and, and then encourage them to do more of these things on their own. So, you know, I'm a big, uh, I, I think I, I really encourage parents to do that. 
but at the same time, I think we just have to recognize that this is this is an unusual time. This is a really tough time, and um, as I sometimes say, there there are moments where parents come through, and there are moments that we get by. And this pandemic, yeah. I think, is is kind of a get by uh, time for a lot of us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Was well, there anything else you'd like to add to our interview today? Yeah, I mean, uh, where to start, really? Um, I guess, um, you know, one thing that I would, uh, that I, you know, I'd like to, to bring up is, uh, it was interesting as I was writing this that uh, I found myself, you know, I was I was writing this book and I was like, okay, you're you're going to be seen as a a parenting expert now, and uh, I found that whole idea to be um, kind of intimidating, and um, uh-huh. even, yeah. even as a child psychiatrist, uh, I you know I want to make sure that I don't make any claims that. Uh, you know that uh, I'm a a perfect parent. I sometimes say, as a child psychiatrist, I make all the mistakes that every other parent does, except that I'm just more acutely aware of those mistakes based on my on my training. I I you know have attended a lot of parenting-based sessions, listening to other people, and sometimes I would hear you know what I thought were these super parents, and I thought, oh my goodness. You know, how am I ever going to do that? And I thought, oh, I think the best thing I could do for my kids is to figure out how I can get the speaker to adopt my kids. Um, and the book really, <laughs> it, it's this book. Uh, I really try hard not to uh, take a judgmental approach, and and not to um, we're we're not here to to judge parents. Um, we're not here to necessarily say you know you've got to do this for everybody. Um, but at the same time, I, uh, you know, one of the themes of this book is that I think we do well when we, you know, when we're trying to parent deliberately, you know, when we can keep our focus and we can keep our calm and we can think through the options and, you know, move away from more uh, sort of reflexive uh, kind of reactions that you know may end up you know not being the great decision, and just if, if that happens, to recognize that and say, okay, this didn't work. I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try this on purpose, and I'm going to objectively see whether this other approach works better. And if it does, great. If it doesn't, it's okay too. I'm going to try something else. And and to sort of think about ourselves as parents as kind of being a little our own little scientist. Uh, where we're observing and we um, are trying to think through things and not just act reflexively. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, that's really great advice. It really is. Well, why don't you tell our listeners where they can purchase your book, spell your name for them so they get, get that. Um, and of course, yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah. Um, okay, great. I, I, online, I think you can get the book pretty much anywhere. Um, again, it's called Parenting Made Complicated, What Science Really Knows About the Greatest Debates of Early Childhood, published by Oxford University Press. Um, bookstores, uh, it may be hit or miss in terms of whether they're going to be. I know bookstores just don't stock as many titles as they used to these days. That's true. Uh, true. But you can always ask for the book. And um, 
I also would love to be able to let people know if they're interested in this topic and want to sort of follow on social media that um, I also write a, a blog on Psychology Today okay. called The ABCs of Child Psychiatry where a lot of these topics uh, come up and that people can also uh, find me on Facebook and Twitter at uh, PD Psych, PD as in pediatrician, P-E-D-I, then psych. Okay. And is is that your blog as well? Uh, the blog is on Psychology Today, and that's called The ABCs of Child Psychiatry. Okay, Psychology Today. Okay. And then um, the spelling of your name? My last name is spelled R-E-T-T-E-W, Ritu. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I wish you all the best success with your book. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about these important topics. Very much so. All right, well, thank you again, and um, the best to you. Same to you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, that wraps up our show for today. Please tune in again next Wednesday. We'll have another great guest. We always do. Till then, please be well. Bye. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at HealthMediaNow and Facebook at HealthMediaNow. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?